Good morning, Chapel Hill. A couple things I'm going to hit on here before we get into the message for this morning. Um, first of all, Greg, thank you. Gospel glorious? Gorgeous. Gospel gorgeous. Is that yours or is that borrowed? Got it. Okay. I'm going to use that. I like that. You got, you got a taste of the culture over there. Uh, you get that now, especially at graduation, right? That's when, when I get to go and speak in chapel, it's a whole different thing. It's like that. Um, it's just high energy, very vocal, um, very active. They can't sit still, and it's, it's a blast. Um, we even got Kyle, our worship leader. He came with me last time. This was just a few weeks ago, and uh, when he was doing one of the songs, um, he did something that I have not seen him do with, with you guys, with us in this setting, which I'm going to get him to do with us in this setting. He pulled out the, um, the Queen song, We Will Rock You, and he said, we're going to do the stomp, stomp, clap, and, um, and got them going. So it's just, it's a different thing. You approach it differently, and uh, it's a beautiful thing. But um, mentoring is, a, is an incredible way to really touch lives over there to, to help them know that there's someone there for them, just walking alongside them. And we get to do that here every year when we have the choir here, but this is a way to extend that into a more regular uh, interaction with them. So um, by all means, um, if that has uh, piqued your interest at all, um, go and, and do that. It is, uh, it is really worth it. Um, okay, speaking of things like that, like outreach, um, Greg mentioned the insert in your bulletin that has some information on Minnesota Adult and Teen Challenge and the mentoring program here. Flip that over. I want to draw your attention to what's on the other side there. And this has to do with our giving and it has to do with our outreach ministry. And um, besides things like Minnesota Adult and Teen Challenge, which when they come in November typically... We do a fundraiser on the spot for that ministry. Um, we also do on an ongoing basis, on a monthly basis, as a church, we give to support the work of some missionaries that are serving overseas in other countries, other cultures around the world. And um, the, the partners that we have there, the individuals and families and organizations that we partner with, those are all represented, if you are not familiar with that, they're represented on that table out in the lobby. This is the last Sunday to, to visit that table out there. That's our outreach table. And it will show you who we partner with, and, and the vast majority of those we've been partnering with for a long, long time. Every year, we like to be able to say to them, in faith, we commit to support you as missionaries for X number of dollars every year. And to make those promises, we need to have a budget for that. And so the insert will tell you how you can give towards that budget. Um, and then they know, they have confidence that they're going to have that and be able to draw on that for their support. Um, and so one of the ways that we give, in addition to our regular giving on Sundays, is is to do that, to use the drop-down of missions on our website or on our, our app, that kind of thing. You can give to missions, and that will go to support our global and local outreach efforts as well. So just keep that in mind um, as you are, are giving. That is a, another way that we can support what God is doing around the world and how we're partnered with that. Um, we've kind of reached that point where we haven't really had to say a whole lot about that fund. It is now kind of on the bubble in terms of being able to make those promises to our missionaries around the world. So could definitely use a boost and uh, we would uh, really appreciate your generosity in that as well. All right. 
Um, Bibles. You're going to need your Bibles. Get your Bibles out. We're going to hit them pretty quick here. Open up your Bible apps. If you need a Bible to follow along in, just put your hand up. Our ushers are coming around. They have Bibles that they can give you to follow along in and to use as, uh, as I speak up here. And if you are receiving one of those Bibles and you do not currently have a Bible of your own, just keep that one and take it with you. Okay, back to our series at hand here, and I will readily admit that I am getting lost in a really good way in the process of looking at God's attributes these days. And I hope you are too. I hope you're getting swept up in this. With each attribute, there's so much material that is, is left on the editing room floor, so to speak. Um, I love the discovery aspect, the learning, but even more... I loved being faced with the so what question every week. Will this knowledge really change the way that I interact with God? Will I know him better? And this week, once again, that's my prayer. This morning, we're going to focus on God's holiness and what kind of impact that might have on our relationship with him. I want to look at what the word holy means how we see God's holiness in action, especially in the Old Testament in the Bible, the dramatic impact of the arrival of Jesus, and then the implications of holiness on our lives. And I, I know that I'm going to leave out a ton of material. You're going to have to deal with that and go find more on your own. But let's begin with God. Turn to Psalm 99. Any consideration of God's holiness ought to begin with praise, and we certainly have been doing that throughout this morning. But this is what the psalmist writes in Psalm 99. He says, The Lord reigns. Let the peoples tremble. He sits enthroned upon the cherubim. Let the earth quake. The Lord is great in Zion. He is exalted over all the peoples. Let them praise your great and awesome name. Holy is he. The king in his might loves justice. You have established equity. You have executed justice and righteousness in Jacob. Exalt the Lord our God. Worship at his footstool. Holy is he. Moses and Aaron were among his priests. Samuel also was among those who called upon his name. They called to the Lord and he answered them. In the pillar of the cloud, he spoke to them. They kept his testimonies and the statutes that he gave them. O Lord our God, you answered them. You were a forgiving God to them, but an avenger of their wrongdoings. Exalt the Lord our God and worship at his holy mountain, for the Lord our God is holy. Amen. Now I doubt that anyone in this room would take a stand and argue that God isn't holy, or even maybe that he's maybe holy, he's maybe not, or he's holy sometimes. This is a fact that has been declared since the beginning of time, and according to Revelation 4.8, it's still being declared, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. And God's holiness will be proclaimed for all of eternity because God is holy. So what then does the word holy mean? And I know it'd be really easy to answer quickly and just declare that God is perfect. 
Holy means perfect. Well, God is perfect. There's no question about that. But holy means something a little bit different. The clearest definition of the word holy to me is set apart. Set apart. To be holy means to be set apart. We'll see a lot in the Bible that aligns with that as a way to define holy. But let's fill that out a little bit. Set apart from unclean and profane things. God is set apart from all that is unclean and profane in this world. And not only is he set apart from all those things, he has a strong opposition to all those things that are not holy. God is set apart in the sense that there is no one like him. Psalm 99 says, exalted above all the peoples. He is by nature inherently sacred. He is set apart from the attributes of a fallen race. God is set apart in the sense that he and only he can declare something to be holy. And he's done that a lot in the Bible. God declares who or what is holy. Now created in God's image, guess what we were created to be? Set apart set apart for God. And when sin entered the world and the human race's nature was corrupted, guess what happened to God's desire for us to be set apart? Nothing. He still desired and desires his creation to be set apart. He didn't just lower the bar at that point. In fact, in Leviticus 11, verses 44 and 45, God says this to the nation of Israel. He says, For I am the Lord your God. Consecrate yourselves, therefore, and be holy, for I am holy. You shall not defile yourselves with any swarming thing that crawls on the ground. And there's lots more about the different things that are not holy in Leviticus. For I am the Lord who brought you up out of the land of Egypt to be your God. You shall therefore be holy, for I am holy. God set his people apart. He then also set apart many things that were to be dedicated to him. The book of Leviticus is chock full of things that God set apart for his purposes. Um, the list is quite impressive. God obviously set apart a dwelling place for himself in the Holy of Holies in the temple. He would dwell there. That's where God's presence was found. That place had to be holy. But check out some of the other things that God declared holy or set apart for his purposes. All of the items in the temple around the Holy of Holies, also holy. Then there were the priest's garments and the anointing oil, holy. God declared holy a certain spot on the ground where Moses was standing before a burning bush. But in the Psalms and Prophets, you'll also see the word holy attached to a hill, throne, Habitation, mountain, sanctuary, a name, land, heights, city, promise, seed, feast, arm, day, house, chambers, district, portion, and even a kiss. And that's not an exhaustive list. We won't get into the day that was declared holy and called the Sabbath. What is holy? 
whatever God declares as set apart for his purposes. These things were not to be defiled by all the unholy things that surrounded them. They were God's. And there were more than things on that list. In Exodus 19, 6, God says this to Israel, to the people. He says, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. And there's something that we need to remember. And we're going to come back to that. There were a lot of rules and regulations surrounding all that God declared holy. God was establishing an environment where it was very clear that he was set apart. And so were the people and things that he claimed for his purposes. There were strict consequences for ignoring these rules and defiling what and who God had declared as holy. He had not and would not lower his standard for holiness. He would protect what he had set apart. So in an agreement between God and his people, a covenant, both parties committed to honoring the setting apart that God had established. Now, one of the two parties struggled to honor that commitment, and it wasn't God. God's people had a hard time holding to what had been declared. They weren't acting very set apart all the time, but God faithfully and mercifully provided ways to address their unfaithfulness. Sacrifices were made to atone for the violation of what had been declared holy, set apart. Cleansing had to happen, and God remained faithful throughout and holy. Now, later in this remarkable story, a new chapter unfolds. And the one who turned the page on that new chapter was Jesus Christ, God's holy son, The final sacrifice was made. The price for breaking that holy covenant was paid. And the curtain that separated man from God in the holy temple was destroyed, torn from top to bottom. A new covenant was being established between the holy God and his people. Something very new and very significant was happening. The God who we know is holy was extending an invitation it was god who tore the veil that was his work and he was now accessible his creation was invited to enter the holy of holies to approach him to be in his presence in god's presence now does that mean that god gave up his holiness to associate with the unclean unclean and profane things of this world Remarkably, no. God's holiness never missed a beat. He just offered us a new and better way. He offered us holiness. God made a statement that we could now come into his presence as holy people. If we leaned into this new covenant that he was offering, a covenant made in the blood of his son, in the blood of Jesus. But his commitment to holiness never changed. Listen to some of what the Bible says about God's ongoing desire for his creation. 
This is what he wants for us. Strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. That's Hebrews 12, 14. There's a lot written in Hebrews about this new covenant and God's desire for us to be holy is certainly not excluded there. It's central. In his second letter, Peter implored, implored the church to pursue lives of holiness. Peter even went so far as to quote what we read earlier in this message, Leviticus 11, to 45. Peter wrote in 1 Peter 1, 16, since it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. And in the previous verse, Peter said, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. And of course, there's 1 Peter 2, 9, a verse that you've seen me refer to many times, where Peter writes to the church, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Okay, let's take some time and let this sink in the way that it should. God is holy. He is set apart from the rest of creation in his perfection, in his power, in so much more. He created us to be holy as well. He created us for his purposes, but obviously things went astray when sin entered the world and took such a place of power. But I love that God never backed away from his prioritization of holiness. This matters to him. He is holy and he calls us, he calls you and me to be holy as well. And so let's go straight at the whole point of this series. Knowing that God is holy and that he calls us to be holy as well, how can this impact our relationship with him? I think that is a very worthwhile question for each of us to ask and factor into our lives at a very high level. For me, it is absolutely amazing that our compassionate and gracious God loves me so much that he has gone to great lengths to count me among those he calls holy. God, through the work of his son Jesus, looks at me and sees someone who is set apart. And what am I set apart for? I'm set apart for his purposes, for God's purposes. I've actually been called into a partnership with God in being set apart, and I have a purpose. It's God's purpose. With God, I am set apart from the unclean and profane things of this world and called to a higher purpose with God. Paul understood well what God has done for us through Jesus. Look at Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 to 23. This is one of the ways that Paul sums this all up. This is what he writes in Colossians 1. Paul says, He, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. 
For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authority, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things. And in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And you who once were alienated and hostile in mind doing evil deeds, he is now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven and of which I, Paul, became a minister. God brought us back through Jesus. And through Jesus, God made us holy. We have been set apart by God to join him in reconciling all things to himself. God now sees us as holy and sees us as partners with him in the mission and ministry of reconciliation. God all along has used holy things and people to carry out his purposes. And I, I still can't get over this. I am one of those holy people. This church, Chapel Hill Church, is one of those holy things that God wants to use to further his purposes. We are all ministers in a ministry that has been anointed by God and declared holy. If I truly want to increase my closeness to God, isn't this kind of an obvious way in which I can do that? My holy God has made me holy and has called me to join him in carrying out his purposes. Me and God, side by side, engaged together in the greatest purpose that the world has ever known. And that may sound a little dramatic, but it is not at all unrealistic. God made us holy, declared us holy, holy and called us to be set apart for his purposes you me this church holy and called god gave chapel hill church a vision the vision is to see this generation move from culture to kingdom thank you greg for remembering that that vision applies to this church as well as to the, word, the world beyond these walls. We are called to move this generation from culture to kingdom. And we see this vision in scripture as part of the process of being set apart 
God calls his church to be set apart. This is part of deepening our connection to God as well. He is set apart. He does not in any way chase after the unclean and profane things of this world. Being set apart is essential to who he is. His image in us is essential to who we are. And so he asks us to be set apart, to live set apart, to think set apart, to feel set apart, to make decisions as those set apart. Be holy as I am holy. Old Testament, New Testament, same message, same vision, whether it's Paul telling us not to be conformed to this world but to be transformed or it's Peter reminding us, us of our a true identity as a nation, a kingdom set apart, we are given clear direction to join God in being holy, being set apart. And Jesus made this a possibility for us. The Holy Spirit gives us the strength to do it. Being holy is not something that's simply unattainable for us. It would be if it just depended on us, but it isn't. This is attainable. This is within our reach. This is at the very core of who we are as God's image bearers. We are holy. That means that we are to separate ourselves from the unclean, unclean and profane things of this world. We belong to a different kingdom than the one currently and temporarily ruling this world. We belong to God's kingdom. And we have been set apart for God's purposes. Jesus makes us holy. But church, it's still on us to take steps to make decisions, to join God in this holy state and holy purpose. So are we willing to do that? And I'll say it once again, church, when I stand up here and say something like that, I am talking to the mirror. Is it worth it for me to see the world the way God sees it? And to become part of his picture of the world. And not merely my own. Maybe this will help. In light of what we know and experience of God's holiness. That he is truly set apart from anything that we see in the world. That he is indeed perfect in any, every way. That he is above all peoples. Isn't he worthy of our praise? Don't we mean it when we sing, worthy is the lamb? Well, believe it or not, God looks on us and he declares that we are worthy of the price that he paid to set us free from the penalty of sin and declare us holy and acceptable. God believes that you are worthy of what he's done to cleanse you and call you into his purposes. Isn't there something in there that makes you want to know him more? 
having been called by a holy God to join him in his purposes as representations of his holy kingdom. Can you see God's desire to be one with you? He loves us and has called us according to his purposes, making us holy, fit to serve with him in the redemption of all things. So church, what's our response to that? It's a question that we all have to answer for ourselves. But the temple veil has been torn from top to bottom. The price has been paid. We have been set apart, called and invited into God's purpose, which includes living as those who are set apart. Now what? It's our move. It's our calling to present ourselves to God as those who have been made holy and to join him in his mission. And there's not much that can get us closer to God than that. Let's pray together, and we'll wrap up our time with a song here. And before we address him in prayer, let this truth sink in a tiny little bit. And hear God say to you, my son, my daughter, you are holy. Father, it is beyond my ability to grasp. That we were the ones that walked away. We're the ones who turn our back on you regularly. But instead of remaining distant from us, instead of punishing us, unholy things that we do. You opened up the door to yourself. Reached out and drew us in. Even to the point of sacrificing your son so that we could stand in your presence holy and blameless accepted by you and fit to join you in your mission to redeem all things so father as you have asked us to be set apart as you have asked me to be set apart to live holy lives readily admit this morning that we need your help. So God, I ask that you would fill us with your spirit. Give us the strength, the wisdom, the guidance, 
all that we need to live lives set apart, even in this lifetime, in this world, to live lives set apart, dedicated to your purposes. Open our eyes to see that there is nothing more worthwhile than this, that there is no one worthy of the praise that we have to offer you you for calling us to be holy and set apart to join you Lord you are so gracious with us we praise you for that we declare that you are holy now God help us to live holy set apart lives as your kingdom called into your mission we pray this in the name of the one by whom we are made holy in the name of Jesus Christ, your Son.